0: I'm going to do something that, to my knowledge, I have never done before in this church. I'm going to preach a sermon to you today, hopefully with the help of the Lord and with your help, that I have preached in this church this year. I don't think I've ever done this before. But on March the 1st of this year, um, I preached a sermon here that... I felt ordered of the Lord to preach. It didn't feel at that time like any different Sunday. Um, But there was so much prophetic value to what the Lord had spoken to my spirit on March the 1st. That uh, My family and I had just came home from vacation uh, the last of February. We came home and I preached this sermon here. And then... Flew out to California to be in a conference and preach there on the following weekend. And while we were in California, uh, in Elk Grove at Brother Young's church, that was the first school system, Elk Grove school system, was the first school system in America to shut down because of a new virus that had hit the world. And... We caught a flight out of there the next day. It wasn't nearly as chaotic at that point. There were just a few hundred cases uh, in the country. And uh, we had no clue on March the 1st when I preached this sermon what was ahead of us in the next nine months or so. Um, But I felt led today on the last Sunday of 2020 to preach this sermon and to declare to the powers of darkness that we still believe everything that we said we believed then, we still believe it now. We still believe that God is for us. We still believe that with the best shot, hell can send our direction. They cannot stop revival. Satan cannot stop a move of God in your life. He cannot stop the blessings of God in your life. Amen. And so I want you to join me in Matthew 13 and uh, verse 24. If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're not, I don't have any longer of an introduction, so just (laughs) mumble. Praise God. Matthew 13, 24. It's a great parable. Another parable, put he forth unto them. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed. What did he sow? (laughs) Come on, shout it. Good seed in whose field? In his his own field, doing the right thing. But while men slept, his enemy came in. Who came in? The The enemy came in and sowed tares. Whose field was this? It was his field. And the enemy sowed tares among the wheat in his field. The good man, good seed, his field, and the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. And then what did the enemy do? See, it preaches itself. He came in, sowed the tare, and then he left. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then it appeared what the enemy had done. The tares became evident and what the enemy had done was exposed the closer they got to harvest time. My God, have mercy. So the servants of the householder came and they said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in thy field? There's almost like this little bit of arrogance here, like being somewhat facetious now, sir, uh, our understanding is that you knew what you were doing, uh-huh. yeah. but as we look, sir, we want to know where did the tears come from? If you did what was right. Now that is a question yeah. that the enemy has beat some of your brains out with this year. I'm going to preach to somebody today. Right. Yeah. If you were doing the right thing, then where did this trouble come from? If you are doing the right thing, then how in the world are you facing this struggle? And I love the answer. He said, the enemy has done this. This is not my fault. This is not something I did, Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. The enemy has done this. And his servant said, well, then we'll fix it right now. And we're going to go gather all of them up. He said, no, sir. Lest while you gather up the tares. You also root up the harvest. If you start tearing up the tares right now, you're going to affect my harvest. I love verse 30, and this is what I'm going to preach to you today. Let both grow together. Until when? The The good man that sowed the good seed in his field, he said, they will grow together. And when the harvest comes, in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather first the tares, bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. He said, the tares that the enemy planted, they're going to get burned up. But the good seed that's been sown will not be affected. They grow together. And the harvest, and the harvest is coming to my barn. Look at your neighbor and tell him this morning, the harvest is coming to your barn. Just for the sake of flowing and all of that, I'm going to title this the same thing that I titled it March the 1st of this year. They grow together. They grow together. Hallelujah. I want you to help me right now. I just want you to put that Bible down, reach your hands up towards heaven, and ask that the Lord would feed us with that heavenly bread this morning. I'm asking you to cry out, church. This is our last Sunday of 2020. We're going to have a move of God today. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. I feel him here. Let's give the Lord a 47th psalm right now. Praise the living God. Clap your hands and lift your shout up above that clap. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I want to begin by telling you today that sooner or later, the word of the Lord will come to pass. And what I'm saying to you is if the Lord said it was going to happen, then it's going to happen. Every word that the Lord has put in the womb of this church, sooner or later, it's coming to pass. The process of waiting in the middle is the most difficult time. It's that process between promise and fulfillment. That is difficult, but it's also in that season that is the testing of your character as to whether or not you're just serving him for harvest or that you're disappointed the seed didn't do what you wanted it to do. I believe with all my heart today that spirits of discouragement have whispered in the ear of every individual under the sound of my voice in this room today. I believe that this year, if you wanted to be discouraged, this was the year to be discouraged. Come on, you can get sad and sappy right here now. I'm giving you an excuse. If you wanted to be heartbroken, 2020 was the year. If you wanted to feel isolated, 2020 was the year. Why are you saying was, Pastor? Because it's almost over. I don't know if anything else is going to change, but it'll feel good to just write one 21 Praise God. I I feel like, If for no other good reason, it has moved us one day closer to harvest. It has moved us one step closer to gathering up every single thing that the enemy has planted and watching it burn up while the Lord blesses his church. I feel the Holy Ghost on this Sunday morning. I feel like preaching to the church, but I need to, while I'm setting the ground this morning, I need to preach just above your head for just a few moments. And I want to remind the enemy today, the prince and the power of the air, that you sowed the best seed you could sow. You did everything you could to disrupt. You did everything you could to distract. You did every, woo, everything you could to discourage but in the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood, we are still here, we are still winning, we are still conquering, we are still seeing harvest. I want to tell the enemy this morning that before we leave this house today, we're going to baptize a man in Jesus' name that came to this church because of the plans that the enemy had and meant us evil. God said, I meant it for good. And today we're going to baptize one in Jesus' name that would have never been here if it had not been for the trouble. What are you saying? Bring it on, devil. Greater is he that's in us. If there's one thing we learn from the master of the house, one thing we learn from the master of the field, as Jesus shares this parable, there is a nonstoppable principle that must get down in your spirit. Now, this is not going to be deep, but it's certainly worth rejoicing over. Here is the principle of the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. The tares did not stop the harvest. It does not mean that they were not there. It does not mean that they did not grow with the wheat. It does not mean that they were not visible. It doesn't mean that there's probably a little bit that was affected in the process choking the life out but at the end of the day there was enough harvest for that man to bring in the sheaves and to take them to his barn you know what i'm gonna tell you right now is that in 2020 we've had a few that have fallen by the wayside but that i know i know the enemy wants us to believe that the falling away is greater than the harvest that is before us but i feel like reminding the devil again with a decree from god today that there is a sevenfold return that's coming to us, and everything that the enemy has tried to steal from us, God is going to steal back from the enemy and give us a return. Now, if you think that's just a coincidence of sevenfold harvest, you need to go to the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is written for the seven churches. To see exactly what's going on in this end time vision. Now listen, I know that we go to Revelation for our eschatology. We go to Revelation for our end time teaching. Yes, it's all there. We see all of it there. But the book of Revelation is not just an end time book. It's Honestly, it's not about the cataclysmic ending. If you look in your Bible, more than likely it's going to say the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not to reveal to us, although we see it, what the beast is going to have power to do in the end time. It is not to reveal to us what the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist are going to take from us. The entire book is motivated by the fact that literally understanding this vision. No weapon that is formed against the church is going to prosper. We see the ploy, the plot, the plan, and everything that the enemy's going to do. We see the power that he's given. We see all of these figures and beasts and and uh, seven heads and ten horns, wounded empires, resurrect. we see all of that, but what we see primarily is that there will be a church and there will be a rapture, and the church will be in that rapture, and there is a woo, and there is a god that 's going to take that serpent the accuser of the brethren and send an angel to him with a great chain and bind him up and cast him into a bottomless pit. I hate to ruin the story for you. I hate watching videos with people that ruin it or reading a book. You're halfway through the book and they say, oh, wait till you get to the end. And they won't let you wait till you get to the end. They ruin the end of the book for you. You're welcome. Let me ruin the end of the book for you. You're still going to stand if you want to. You're going to make it if you want to. If I've realized anything about my own personal resolve this year, it's the simple fact that if you really want to make it, you will. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches First of which in Revelation 2 and 1 through 7 is the church at Ephesus. We can call the church at Ephesus, if you would, the loveless church. Because the church at Ephesus had many admirable qualities, but one tragic flaw. Christ commended them for the good works that they had done. He told them, he said, I admire you for your perseverance. Perseverance. You have persevered, you have good discipline in the church that has been a safeguard against false teaching and false doctrine. But verse 4 reveals to us where they went wrong. Because he said, with all of the qualities that you have working for you, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left... Your first love. Now this is scary. But everything about the Ephesian church looked good outwardly. But it was that invisible world, the heart that was inside of them. That had left their first love. In other words, their mouth was in it, but their heart wasn't. And I'm afraid we have seen that spirit. Grip a hold of churches that even claim to know the truth. That on the outside they've got it together, they look like they're persevering, they look like they're defending false doctrine, but when you get down into their soul and their spirit, they're teaching what they've been taught and have never fallen in love. Woo! You can be seated. I'm telling you right now, you mark it down. When I I say this this morning, there is a danger in the 21st century church of regurgitating what you've been told and never falling in love with it for yourself. I'm going to tell you something that may blow your mind, but don't let it. There are men today in this movement pastoring so-called apostolic churches. That cannot even tell you why we believe in one God. It's hilarious because they'll they'll run around and bypass scriptures like John three sixteen because they don't know how to deal with the only begotten Son. They preach what they heard preached at camp meetings and conferences, and they don't they don't even know scriptural integrity for themselves. And when they get their backs against the wall, they finally just acquiesce to the pressure of the moment. And they'll say, well, then I guess baptism in Jesus' name may not be essential. I guess the infilling of the Holy Ghost may not be essential. I guess maybe it's just a gift that God gives some. This leads to some serious issues because that immediately detracts from the nature of God And makes him a respecter of persons. And God is not going to give me the Holy Ghost. And then tell you you can't have it. I believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Is either essential for all of us. Or it's not essential for any of us. Now the principle here with the church at Ephesus. As if your heart's not in it, God has ought against you. You can dress it up all you want to. You can act like you believe it. But when your heart is not settled, when winds of false doctrine start blowing, you'll give in to the thoughts and the processes of other people because you'd rather have fellowship than you would to be saved. That makes me want to run. The second church he deals with in the second chapter in verses 8 through 11 is the church at Smyrna. Now there's something interesting. There's two of the seven churches that the Lord did not rebuke, and Smyrna was one of them. Smyrna is known as the suffering church. What's that tell you? If the suffering church had no rebuke, that means that a church that is willing to suffer and be crucified, God has nothing to say to them. It's something to me how people will automatically just like a magnet be drawn to prosperity doctrine. And they want to go where they're blessed. You watch people. It's hilarious. You let a church break out into a season of revival. And they'll uproot their families from good churches and go somewhere else where somebody will prophesy money on them. And they never get it. But the church at Smyrna was a church that understood suffering. Everybody wants to know him in the power of his resurrection. Yet very few want to ever talk about the fellowship of his suffering. What I'm saying to you is you cannot serve a resurrected Savior if that Savior was not crucified and buried in the earth. You cannot live in the power of the resurrection in the apostolic church if that church does not understand suffering and does not understand crucifixion. But we're so pitiful because, oh my, my, what are we going to do if the world looks at us and especially apostolic people look at us and say, man, those people are conservative? Well, that's horrible. Isn't that awful that somebody would look at you and say, You're a conservative person. Don't you cuss at me. (laughs) It's funny. Like people take pride in the complete opposite thing. Like, man, I ain't never seen anybody act like you do, and they glory in that. But when it comes to the church and they look at us and say, And you guys are just kind of like old fashioned, we're like, oh, man. Been persecuted. <laughs> they said I was different than everybody else. Oh my God! Yeah. What well, like, why? Why does your church do that? Why is your church like that? And we always let the church take the fall. That's just because that's, that's just what we believe. That, maybe that's what your grandma believed, or maybe that's what your pastor believed. But if you're not careful. Smyrna, you're going to take on the idea of the church at Ephesus and it's going to become just an outward movement that you're not convinced in your heart. But when you've got the spirit of Smyrna on you, it doesn't matter what happens to the outside. If you've got the heart convinced that every now and then life's not going to be perfect and you're going to go through some suffering and there's going to be some things that you're going to have to get through but you know you will come through them come on you're not going to walk away and leave the Lord because he wants you to walk Isaac up the mountain you'll give God Isaac if that's what he wants I love it because modern churches love to preach that he's a mountain moving God and they never take the time to prove or or preach or Practice the idea that he doesn't move every mountain because he can. There's been some mountains in 2020 I wish the Lord would have moved. But he didn't move them. I told this to you a few weeks ago. I thought for sure if anybody was going to be exempt from the plague of Egypt that has hit our land, surely it would be the people of God. Right? Right? And I say that with no bitterness in my mouth whatsoever. God's plan is bigger than mine. But let me be identified with the church at Smyrna that understood suffering is not a death sentence. There are worse things in this world than having to suffer. I would rather suffer through this life and know that I made it on the other side. Next church you come to in verses 12 through 17 is the church at Pergamos. Now Pergamos, Pergamum is an interesting place because in the same book we find out that Pergamos is the very seat of Satan. There's a couple things here. I'm going to deal with Pergamos and the church at Pergamos. But I think it's interesting that in the same book the seat of Satan is identified as being in Pergamos. Which is just south of Istanbul, Turkey. But I think it's very interesting that the seat of Satan is identified in Pergamus, But the opening of the book identifies that where the very seat of Satan is, there's a church. The dragon hands his power to the beast coming up from Pergamus, from the seat of Satan. All of this end time stuff that we're talking about, the spirit of the Antichrist, the, the mark of the beast, all of this that's going to transpire. It comes when the dragon hands over power from Pergamus yet at the beginning of the book the lord said i want to send a word to my church that's at pergamus can i tell you right now that it doesn't matter what the enemy has sown in pergamus there is I'm telling you today that there is a church all over the world. There's a church in lands that we're not supposed to preach truth. There are churches in communist lands. There are churches in Muslim lands. There are churches in Hindu lands. The church of the living God is alive and well. But this is what John said to guard. Pergamus, nicknamed Satan city. Why? Because it's the seat of Satan because... Of its paganism and idolatry. Listen to me when I tell you this. I want it to be crystal clear. That the satanic stronghold at Pergamos. Being the seat of Satan. Was not identified by witches and warlocks. It was identified by paganism and idolatry. The very seat of Satan was not filled with horror movies. It was filled with disillusioned people who had replaced the power of God in their life with something that would never work, yet they were convinced that it would. Woo! Don't run just yet. Professing faith in Jesus Christ, to be honest with you, at Pergamus would have carried some severe consequences. The church, if you read, you understand that they... They demonstrated their conviction and courage by its mere existence of being there. Yet idolatry had crept into the congregation. It was interesting what had happened, and I want this to be so plain today that nobody misses what I'm saying to you about the church at Pergamus. What John was saying through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ through John, to tell the church at Pergamus, is that the danger of the church at Pergamus. Is that they have acted like it was a sacrifice to have a church. And so they have told me, told the Lord that we've already paid the price by just existing. Oh my God. Lord, we put ourselves in danger just by existing. You know what? I don't want this to sound ugly at all, but I'm going to tell you something about the North American church. We're the biggest bunch of crybabies the kingdom of God's ever seen. We don't know anything about persecution. (laughs) We don't know anything about it. You have never, ever, ever had your wife get her head decapitated right in front of you and your children because you refuse to stop believing. Yet we get this spirit on us that says, well, Lord, look at what we do. I mean, look at everything we do for you. Look, I mean, you should be proud enough of us in the end time that at least we're still here. But the Lord said, my problem problem with the church at Pergamos is that they have allowed the influence of idolatry and paganism to creep into their doctrine. And now they're a church that has a hybrid doctrine. They're not all Jesus anymore. But they've got enough of Jesus to still be a church. Oh. Son it is quiet up in here right now. They're still considered the church. But their doctrine has become diluted. Because they yoked the gospel To paganism. Let me show you. In verse 16. I'm going to give you the the word for it. It quickly draws a stern rebuke from Christ. In Revelation 2 and verse 16. He says repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Who will he fight against? The promoters of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. He said, I'm going to open up my mouth. He said, it only took one self-proclaimed prophetess to corrupt the church. One self-proclaimed prophetess that corrupted the church. You hear me today when I tell you that we are not so far away from corruption And the problem is with the church at Pergamos is they allowed themselves to be corrupted the whole time in Jesus' name. Maybe this was for a Wednesday night. Maybe you're starting to question why in the world I'm preaching this on the last Sunday night. Because it was powerful enough to carry me through nine months of disgust. The next church was the church at Thyatira. It's verses 18 through 29. Now this one we don't like very well. It's the adulterous church. On the surface, read it for yourself. The church was commendable for its love, for its faith, for its service, for its patience. But verse 18 says, and this is something I'm not sure we want any piece of whatsoever. But Christ with eyes like a fire. Think about it. With eyes like a fire. Recognize their deficit. The one who searches the hearts and the minds. Pierced through their veneers. And penetrated the problem. Immorality. According to verse 20. We see the disruption of the false prophecies that have corrupted the church and caused them to fall in love with things that the Lord never intended for them to fall in love with. I'm telling you right now that if we need anything in the earth, in the apostolic church before the coming of the Lord, we need to see the eyes of God again looking on his church It's all right with me if God reveals some things and jerks a cover back. That's what 2020 has been all about is God has been exposing to us that we're in love with other things. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings right here, but I want to tell you something about adultery. A large percentage of the time, I can't tell you it's 99.95. I can't tell you any, the exact number, but a large majority of the time with adultery, it's justified in the mind of the adulterer. They have their reasons for adultery. The word of the Lord tells us that there was a time that the Lord winked at ignorance. And that time is over. The Lord told the church at Thyatira, he said, if you're going to go a-whoring after other gods, you're going to have to step over the truth to commit adultery on the doctrine." But adultery and the spirit of adultery always wants to justify why we're looking other places when the truth is the real reason why anybody would look somewhere else is because they're not willing to water the grass in their own yard. I'm preaching good whether anybody believes it or not. I want to tell you right now, I can't blame my spiritual adultery on the fact that God has not been good to me. I cannot blame spiritual adultery on the fact that God has failed me. There is no justification. I'm gonna to have to step over his love to get to somebody else. Woo! <laughs> feel like for some reason this went better before oh, it's good. I'm just picking next church was the church at Sardis for those of you that are in a hurry you'll be happy to know this is 5 of 7 this is found in Revelation 3 1 through 6 the church at Sardis now folks this is the real deal Sardis was the dead church In this message, Christ refers to himself. You can read it for yourself in verse 1. As he who hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I'm not going to jump off real deep. I want to tell you that the seven spirits represent the completeness of the ministry of the spirit. In Isaiah... We find in 11 of Isaiah, verses 2 through 5, the sevenfold spirit, the sevenfold working of the spirit of God. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, might. But the church at Sardis had shut the working of the spirit out of their affairs. Has everybody got your seatbelt on? The lights were on. People were showing up. They were singing, and they were preaching, but there was no working of the Spirit. Woo! God, this one feels heavy right now. If we're not careful, we're going to polish this thing up before the coming of the Lord and have the most polished services we've ever had. And the least moving of the spirit that the church has known since Pentecost. It's almost to me heartbreaking that people don't call us holy rollers anymore. You know how a church gets dead? They just make the spirit stop working. And then the dance has to be fabricated. I'm Oh, God. There was no such thing in the first century church as dance teams. You know why we have dance teams in churches now? Because they don't dance in the spirit. Well, I don't feel like dancing. Do you think David felt like dancing every six pace on his way back to Jerusalem? All we've got to do to be a dead church is just stop letting the Holy Ghost move. Stop letting the Holy Ghost work. It used to be that was the thing that separated us from the rest of the religious world. Now we sing the same, we act the same, we dance the same. I'm telling you, I want to be apostolic. I want to have revival. I want to be a lively church. Oh, God. Pastor, I think you're majoring in the minors. I'm going to tell you what happens. I'm going to tell you what happens. When people are born into a dead church, they're always satisfied with dead. But when people are born into a church that's on fire, they'll never be satisfied in a dead church. I love being in a church that at any given moment, somebody will take off running. Somebody will dance in the spirit. Somebody will shout out loud. I am not intimidated by a lively church. Come on, I believe it's going to draw men. I believe it's going to draw men and women. I believe they're going to come to a lively church. In your face, devil. Woo. I want you to listen to what I'm telling you about the church at Sardis now. If you don't look close, you'll miss this. But if you look at what the Lord said to Sardis, the other churches received praise from Christ along with the criticism. But when the Lord looked at the dead church at Sardis, there was absolutely no commendations and only condemnation. Read it for yourself. He said, I know your works, that you have a name, That you are alive, but you are dead. He said the church at Sardis is full of what we would call nominal Christians. They're only Christian by name. But the true difference maker is that you cannot be really truly converted and be dead. If you want to go to a community club, if you want to enjoy your cereal while the preacher's preaching and eat a donut while the worship team is singing their songs, then that's what you get. But he said, I am looking at Sardis and saying to you, you better get some life back in you. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying when you've got the Holy Ghost down in your soul, just like the Bible said, you can't sit still. You can't sit on God. I wish somebody would shout hallelujah. I'm hurrying. He moves on. I wish I had time to stay there, but he moves on to the church of Philadelphia was a faithful church 7-13 through 13 of Revelation 3 you can read about it if you're taking notes Christ commanded the church of Philadelphia for four things they had an open door which I think there's some end time prophecy we need to understand about that it's hard to move in a church with closed doors so just Farewell. keep that in your spirit they had an open door they had little strength they had kept the word of god they had not denied the lord it's pretty strong you got an open door you've done much with your little strength you've kept the word of god and you have not denied the lord it says something about a church That just refuses to deny the power of the name. That's right. Now, the seventh church, verses 14 14 through 22, they received some of the Lord's harshest criticism. It was the church at Laodicea. Some of the harshest words that have been recorded anywhere in the scripture by the Lord to anybody at all. Were given to the church at Laodicea. If you're in Revelation 3, just glance down there at verse 16. It said, this church makes me want to puke. Come on, am I in the word? Yes, sir. He said, there's something about this church. They can't decide if they want to be cold. Yeah. They want to be hot. Right. Just lukewarm. Yeah. So I guess. I'll spew them out. Of my mouth. He said you're lacking in every way. You're compromising. You're conceited. You are Christless. What a church. Yeah. Oh my God. Whew. But there's something that has to be noticed. As the Lord points out all the weaknesses. That are happening in the church. He said to these seven churches. I've got some odd against you. I've got some things that you need to work on. There's some stuff in my heart that I feel like. You need to be mindful of. But I absolutely love it. Because the scripture said. That in the midst of those seven churches. Somebody say in the, midst. in the midst. It's almost like the seven churches are in a circle. And right in the middle of the seven churches, the Lord is working. You know why? Because trouble has never. Stopped the Lord he said those seven churches have got some issues but it's my church and there's work to be done and the word said right in the middle of all the church trouble the angel of the Lord gets turned loose Through the angel of the church right can I tell you right now that the supernatural will be greater than it's ever been in the end time church oh yeah we've got some problems we've got some things we need to work through but I believe the angel of the Lord is going to work through his church in the end time. It's going to grow together. I'm hurrying. Seven churches didn't get it all right. But he was right in the middle of them working. That's what my Bible said. He was working in the middle of them. You know when Lucifer was cast down into the earth there's an interesting thing that Jesus does not record when he said, "I beheld Satan fall as lightning." But Jesus forgot to record that when Lucifer came to the earth, that the will of God stopped, because it didn't happen. The will of God was being done and accomplished before Lucifer got loosed on the earth. It's been accomplished while Lucifer's been in the Earth. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you got to quit worrying about a devil behind every tree and every bush. Quit worrying about what every little devil's going to do. Let me tell you this. When Lucifer was cast into the earth, he couldn't stop the will of God. He couldn't stop the kingdom of God. If he couldn't stop it then, he won't stop it now. I'm still preaching to the church, but I'm letting the devil know some things as well this morning. I know we don't think opposition is the will of God, but the Bible said the Egyptians had evil motives against the children of Israel. But what they did not know is the more they oppressed them, the more they grew. Devil, you have messed with the wrong church in 2020. I haven't lost my praise. I haven't lost my victory. I haven't lost my shout. You know what I love is that with everything we've been through this year, our church people could not wait to get back in the house of God. They could not wait for the doors to open. And today, some of you have been through grief, but you're here and your hands are raised and you're worshiping God. Go ahead, devil. Try to do whatever you want to, but we will not quit. Some of us have the wrong concept. We think God's working because of the devil. And the truth is, he's working in spite of the devil. In the midst of the 12 that Jesus pastored as his disciples, you can remain standing. Out of the 12 that he pastored, one of them was a devil. But there were 11 left. That went to Pentecost and turned the world upside down. And what's amazing, Bishop, is they grew together. I'll tell you one thing. If that person don't stop coming to this church, it's going to collapse. Negative, amigo. That'd be a great big old fat negative. Because I feel like telling you right now, Judas couldn't stop Calvary. Well, I don't like their attitude. That's all right. He's going to die for them too. With this, I close. I need to help somebody today. I'm trying to hurry. But in Mark, the ninth chapter, there's a man that came to Jesus and he said, my son, he's a mess. He's been casting himself into the fire. And he said, Lord, I love this. He said, Lord, I believe help down my unbelief notice that the Lord did not send him home to perfect his faith he saw that he was real enough man to say I'm having issues and because of his honesty saying Lord my belief and my unbelief they've grown together and I'm struggling but I still believe you can the Lord said I find no fault in this man his faith is greater he found faith that he could work with listen the unbelief was as present as a belief but the unbelief was not powerful enough to stop the faith how is it that thomas is willing to die with him and then he's like i don't know i don't know what i should do until he beheld. Now what if the Lord would have looked at him and said. Nope. I'm not going to show you anything. That's not the nature of God. I want to tell you right now. I've preached this before. But I don't believe Thomas was doubting. I believe that he was struggling with his faith. Because he was there when he left. He was there when he died. He saw that happen. He hadn't seen him resurrected yet. He said I want to be sure this is a real deal. I'm trying to sing. I want to know for sure. How is it that you wrestle like that sometimes? It's because you're a human being. But know this. That belief and unbelief—they're going to grow together. If you'll find enough faith in you today to say, "Lord, 2020's been tough, but 2021 is going to be the greatest year of my life," I give myself to your plan. I give myself to your cause. I give myself to your kingdom, God. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Are you hear what I'm telling you this morning? You're going to have some tough seasons. You're going to go through some stuff. But lift those hands anyway. You're going to go through some dark times. But lift that voice anyway. Come on, he's going to do his best to take it away from you. But you need to let the devil know, you didn't give me my joy. And you can't take my joy away. Come on, somebody get a hold of this this morning. No, everything's not perfect in my life. Yes, I've been through some things, but I'm still standing, and God is gonna get the glory, and I'm gonna see revival, and I'm gonna see harvest, and let God reveal the tear. I'm asking you this morning that you would reach short heaven right now. Come on, we don't need a closer right now somebody's got to get this in your spirit there's going to be some difficult things grow together with your faith but let the harvest reveal it